Or at least if you're far away, say, glad we're sitting on the same row. How about that? If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 is where we're going, but we're going to continue what we've been talking about the last few weeks, uh, a series called Return to God America. It is a prophetic call to the nation, as it were, but it is a, it's a recognition. Well, how many know we all recognize something's wrong in America? Come on, if you're watching online at home, wave your hands now. Something is wrong in America. America's in trouble. Our economics are in trouble. We're confused about gender. We, 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 we look at what's happened in Afghanistan. COVID is baffling us. What, what are we going to do? How are we going to get to the end of that thing? But there's a solution to all this, and it involves God and what I'm calling a revival. A revival, a spiritual awakening. It is when a nation returns to God. And these are synonymous terms. Technically, they're a little different. How many know when to be revived, you have to have life in the first place? Typically, revival would come to a Christian and a church. A nation would experience a spiritual awakening. Lost people would come to God. Those that have known God at one time would come back. And this is the great need in America today. Well, last week in the series, we talked about Nehemiah. Uh, the revival that Nehemiah brought to the Jews. And the truth was is that one person can, making a diff, can make a difference in calling a nation back to God. You don't have to be the president. You don't have to be, you know, uh, have gone to seminary. Uh, you can influence and change your sphere of influence. And this is what we're talking about today. You and I are impacting the kids and parents on, on the ball team, uh, our neighborhood, the people at work, the people that are close to us, that we are, are believing God, that God would use us to make a difference in their world. Now, revival, as we've talked about it, it has two elements to it, this spiritual awakening. It's what God does and what God sends, but how many know it's also our part? We don't just sit around and wait for God. We learn our, the text for the series in Chronicles, if my people, say it with me, who are called by my name should do four things, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God said, then I'll hear from heaven and then I'll heal their land. Well, that's what we do. That's our part. But there's something else that we do. We are God's mouthpiece. God needs us to call people to return to him because they don't know what to do. Well, this has been the, the gist of the series. Uh, put the picture up of Billy Graham. How many people have actually heard Billy Graham, radio, TV, or in person? Wave your hand. Now, look around the room right now. Uh, half, two-thirds of the room, Billy Graham preached to more people in the history of the world than anyone else. 2.2 billion people, one in three almost, Billy Graham spoke to about Jesus Christ. But uh, my, my focus this morning uh, in the message is on missed opportunities. We're going to look at Jonah, and how many know Jonah had a big missed opportunity? God wanted to send a revival in a place called Nineveh, and Jonah said, I don't want anything to do with it, and God finally convinced him to go. But God has all of us in strategic places, and we can miss the opportunity to be used by God. Now, Billy Graham did this great thing, but he came to Christ because of a man named Mordecai Ham. He was, in a, he was an evangelist, and Billy Graham showed up in his meeting, committed his life to Christ. But Mordecai Ham came to Christ because he heard an evangelist named Billy Sunday, but Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player. He played uh, baseball. I think I read that his average was uh, 261 or 281 in the year that he, he quit to join the ministry. Billy Sunday, apart from Billy Graham, uh, in, the, in their day, had spoken to more people about Christ than anyone else in America. 300,000 people came to Christ. But Billy came to Jesus because he heard an evangelist, Wilbur Chaplin, who heard one of the great evangelists that touched nations, Dwight L. Moody. There's Bible institutes named after Moody. But it's interesting interesting how Moody became a Christian. When he was a boy, there was a young man named, there was a man named Edward Kimball. Uh, Moody was a, a teenager, and Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. He taught, if you can imagine, the powerhouse Sunday school class, and uh, he had a heart for Dwight Moody. He knew Moody didn't get it, so one day he went to the shoe store, and uh, he started talking to Moody uh, 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 about Christ, and Jesus committed his, uh, he committed his life to Jesus right there in the shoe store. So here's my question. What would have happened if Edward Kimball had said, well, you know what? <laughs> These kids are crazy. They're driving me nuts. I'm not, not, not only am I not going to the shoe store, I may not teach the 
class next semester. We might not have had a D.L. Moody. It could have been a missed opportunity if Billy Sunday had have said, I'm going to stay with the ball team, and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to give my life to Christ. I'm not going to do what God's calling me to do. Well, I suggest to you that all of us have opportunities in life by God. We don't have to stand in front of a people in front of people. We don't have to have a microphone. It can be you standing around the circle at the at the at the little girls' uh, soccer season when it starts, and you're the one that brings the brownies and say, "Girls, let's pray before we start." And you become the spiritual influence on the team. You see, it could be when you're sitting around drinking coffee before you your group gets ready to go to work, and you're having a little staff meeting. You could be the one that brings up, "Hey, man, so many people are are dying of COVID and getting this COVID thing. Why don't we pray and ask God?" to keep us safe and before you know it you become the chaplain there in the workplace and you influence people for Christ well this is what we're talking about today about God kind of tapping us on the shoulder and we having the opportunity to say yes or no to God yes I'll quit baseball uh, yes I'll teach the Sunday school class and, and 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 spiritual awakening because if we miss the opportunity guess what uh, 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 if Sunday had missed the opportunity or if Kimball had missed it God would have found somebody else, but they would have missed the greatest opportunity of a lifetime. And this is what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to miss God's opportunity to be involved in seeing people come or return to Christ. Um, this is part four in the series, and let's begin. We're going to talk about Jonah, and the central message I want to bring across today is this, is that I want to encourage you not to let excuses stand in the way of you doing what God wants you to do. Don't let any other reason step in there to cause you to miss it. Let's begin with Jonah. Jonah uh, ran from God's calling, but later he obeyed. Now, you know the story. Some believe it's just a fairy tale. Well, Jesus didn't believe it was a fairy tale. Jesus, when he talked about his own resurrection, Jesus said, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. So as we read this, I don't read it as mythology. I read it as a literal experience that happened in the Bible to a man named Jonah. Uh, let's give me, let me give you a little background before we get into the heart of the message. Jonah chapter 1, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian Empire. It was in northern Iraq. Jonah was a prophet, which means he was a spokesman from God. And God said, announce my judgment against it. I've seen how wicked the people are. But listen to the strangest verse in the Bible. Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Uh, he got on a boat going to Tarshish, which was modern-day Spain. He was going to sail across the Mediterranean to run away from God. Well, how many know you can't run away from God? That's, that's as crazy as you think you pull the sheets up and God can't see what you're doing. I mean, how many know God always knows? God is there in our lives. Well, uh, God wanted people of Nineveh to repent of their evil ways and turn to him. God wanted a spiritual awakening to come to Nineveh, but uh, Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with it. Now, the next part of the story is a little humorous for us, but it was pretty scary for Jonah. Jonah gets on this ship, and he's out in the midst of the Mediterranean Sea, and all of a sudden, uh, the waves start rocking. Hey, have you ever felt in your life like your life was just rocking like that, and you couldn't get out and didn't know what to do? Well, in Jonah's case, it was because God was trying to get his attention. It was a judgment or a discipline from God. God may do that for us sometimes when we're in rebellion against him. Well, these waves are rocking, and Jonah's, you know, the, the guys that are on the ship, they, they worship idols. Uh, they have, they're polytheists. They worship many gods, and they're trying to figure out which god was mad at them. And Jonah said, I'll tell you who's mad at us. <laughs> Jehovah is mad at me because I'm running away from him. Throw me into the sea and uh, uh, it, the winds will die down. Well, lo and behold, I guess he had a suicide wish on him, but they did that. You know the story. This great fish swallowed him up and God had him in a position where he could speak to him. Sometimes in our lives, God's got to get us to our lowest spot. God's got to get us where we are either physically, financially, emotionally, relationally. Somehow we're in a box before we hear God. And Jonah got to that place, and Jonah finally said, Okay, God, I'll obey. Let's keep reading a little more background here. Uh, chapter 3, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to Nineveh. Deliver the message I've given you. And this time Jonah said, Come on, yes, sir. 
Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. Now, this is the beginning of revival. God wants to send revival. God wants to send an awakening. But how many know you and I have to obey? We have to do our part. We have to do what God calls us to do. And uh, that's what he did. He obeyed the Lord's command. And he shouted to the crowds. Now, Jonah, he's a, he doesn't like the Ninevites. So I imagine he was pretty ugly. It wasn't a sweet conversation. He walked around town and said only eight words. Eight words. He said, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. But here's what I want to tell you. He spoke words of judgment. But yet in those words, God convicted people. It's like somehow. Have you ever read a Bible verse and it just seemed like God was speaking to you? Have you ever been, I don't know, praying, maybe outside? I know when my wife had breast cancer, praise the Lord, she's seven years cancer-free now. And she's in Mexico, by the way. So please feel sorry for me and pray for me. Um, but I remember when we were just so distraught, didn't know what to do and what procedures and where to go and doctors and everything. And I'm just reading an Old Testament passage. And I, I, it just said, all is well. It wasn't about health. I wasn't looking for a healing scripture or anything. But it was like God, it jumped off the page and I heard the voice of God. When I was battling, having panic attacks and at a, just a, at a dark place in my life, I heard the Lord say to me, I, I had this feeling like I was going to fall like, like fall down a mountain or fall off a tall building. And it was just a feeling I couldn't get away from. And I'm out praying one day, and I heard this voice. And I don't mean a literal voice, but the voice of the Lord in my heart. It said, I'll catch you. When you hear the Lord speak to you, it changes you. And that's what happened to these Ninevites. Uh, and so here's the deal. The same thing could happen through us. What if you're at a party? And, uh, you know, people are just having fun. It's a big Labor Day. Maybe it's barbecue. And uh, you're doing a big Labor Day barbecue. All your friends or whatever who's over. And this one guy is just kind of bragging about how he's been stealing money from his company. And uh, he's been bragging. He's found a way every day to put $100 in his pocket. And uh, the boss doesn't know it. And uh, no way he can find out. You know, he adjusts the cameras. He's really bragging about it. And it's about seven or eight of you standing around. Well, what if you said... Bob, that, it's, everybody wants to have a little bit more money. But, you know, God saw you when you took that. And, you know, God's Word tells us not to steal. And, you know, Bob, one day, it gets quiet now, doesn't it? <laughs> one day, Bob, you're going to have to stand before God and give an account for your life. One day, God's going to ask you about that. Now, Bob may, Bob may laugh, he may cut up, or he might say, he might get convicted. He might sense the Holy Spirit through your simple words, and he could turn to Christ. Well, this is what we're talking about, the power of our words. Jesus gave all Christians a mission to call people to turn to God or to return to God. It's, it's called the Great Commission. We speak this to the lost, to the backslider, to the Christian that's plateaued. And I don't know that it, that's a better way that it's said in the Bible in Romans chapter 10. Listen to what Paul said about how this is for all of us. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, what does that mean? Every person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ, invites Christ in their life, will be saved from the judgment of their sin, will be saved from a real place called hell. How many can say that's good news for everybody? Amen. And everybody needs to hear that. But now listen to what he says. How can they call on Jesus to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him, and here's where it gets personal, how can they hear unless someone tells them? And here's the deal. That someone could be you or me. I, I have this little deal I do on Wednesday nights. I, for, I, I've just, I like Taco Bell tacos. I like any kind of tacos. But I like Taco Bell tacos. On Wednesday night after church, I, I go through the drive-thru. And uh, whoever's there, I always give them an invitation to church. These little things, super handy. I, and I just say, I give them a credit card. And I say, hey, I want to give you an invitation to my church. I think you'd really like it. Well, this time, it was a little bit different. It was, it was like that girl stopped everything she was doing. She had the microphone, but she stopped talking to people that were behind me in line. She stopped relating to the cooks just a minute, and she started looking at it, and she said, can I have this? 
Can I watch can, can, your, own, your own line? I need to watch that. I need to, I need to be in church. And I could just feel that she was ripe like a piece of fruit. Well, it, it, you know, this COVID thing has, made, has shaken people. All of us know people that have COVID. Many of us have had it. Uh, we, last week, we figured there were about 15 active cases in our church. Some people's family members had died. It's a terrible thing. Um, a dear friend of mine that's a doctor said he, he has 10 of his patients that have died. So how many know it doesn't get much more serious than that? And you start having a conversation with people about COVID, and guess what? You've got a chance to talk about Jesus. I cannot tell you an easier time that I can remember where you can say something like this. Well, you know anybody that got COVID recently? Yes, no. Well, listen, I'm going to ask you a question. It's a pretty serious question. But if you and I, and I hope this doesn't happen, but if you and I got COVID and we died, would you go to heaven? Now, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? I tell you what you've just done. You just opened the door wide for spiritual communication. It's that simple. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? You might get an opportunity to pray for that person. You might be able to lead that person to Christ. That person might tell you, yes, I believe in Jesus. But what it's done is it's opened a spiritual door. And I want to tell you, friends, people are ripe for harvest today. People are ripe to turn to God because they're confused, they're helpless. They don't know what to do out in the world. How many know Jesus knows exactly what to do, and he is the rock of our salvation? Come on now. He can give us peace, and he can give us strength to face any storm in life, and that's what people need, and Jesus offers it, and he offers it through us. Now, let's look at verse 5. It's pretty interesting here. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. Now, these Ninevite people, they, are, they lived in the capital of, the, of Assyria in northern Iraq. But these people were, were tough people. They were violent. Uh, they were always at war. They worshipped idols. They had a gate that was around the city. And on, on the gates was a picture of a different idol or a different god that they worshipped. So these were, you know, these were pretty evil people. Uh, but yet, their hearts were tender towards God. They declared a fast. They put on burlap, which is an outward sign to show their sorrow. And then the king said, everybody must wear garments of mourning. Listen to this. Everyone must pray earnestly to God. Now, here's the heart of it. They must turn from their evil ways. How many know it's our evil ways that gets us in trouble with God? How many know it's our evil ways that causes us to go down and to be away from God? Turn from your evil ways. Stop your violence. And when God saw what they had done, how they put a stop to their evil ways, he didn't carry out the destruction he threatened. In other words, the pestilence stopped, the violence stopped, the, 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 the judgment of God was stopped because somebody stepped in and spoke words where people would return to God. Listen, this, this could happen today. These people were called to repent of their evil ways and return to God. And here's what I want to tell you. Even the worst sinner can turn to God. I don't care if someone has been a rapist. I don't care if they have abused children. I don't care if they're a murderer. I don't care if they're a drug dealer. I don't care what they've done, how violent they have been in their life. If God touches their hearts, they will change. Now, I was never particularly a violent person, uh, but, but I can remember when I was lost and I, I was uh, with one of my buddies, uh, we used to steal things. Now, the statute of limitations have passed. And, and when I got saved, I even returned a lot of the stuff. But we just used to steal it, and, and, and for no reason whatsoever, just because it was stupid. And it was, just, it was just stupid. But when I got saved, I'm telling you, Jesus came into my life, and I looked in my drawers in my room at all the stuff. Actually, I'd stolen some stuff from the football team. <laughs> and I went back and I took all that stuff and I gave it to the coach and I asked him to forgive me. He said, what happened to you? And I said, Jesus, you just change when Jesus comes into your life. And I don't care how bad someone is. I don't care how confused they are, how troubled they are. Their life can turn around with Jesus Christ. Now, let's, let's, let's take these Ninevites just a second, and let's talk a little bit about America and how confused we are. Let me show you a couple pictures here. Um, Harvard University names a devout atheist 
as its new head chaplain. Now, he seems like a nice guy. Just looking at him, he wrote a book that says how to be good without God. In other words, he looked at the cross and said, we don't need the cross. Well, first of all, he said there is no God. And second, he said, we don't need a God to be good. It's within ourselves. Well, what does the Bible say? There's none righteous, no, not one. Well, did you know that Harvard University was founded by a minister? His name was Joe Harvard, and he found it to raise up Christian preachers. But yet today, we have turned that far. Well, if, that, if he's the head chaplain, what kind of spirituality are young college students going to be taught at Harvard? They're going to be taught a godless, secular brand of it. That's what's going on in America today. That's why the highest number, the older you are in America, the more likely you are to believe in God. The younger you are, the less likely you are to believe in God. You see, that's the influence of our culture. This is what's going on today. Look at another picture here. Now, I want you to take that in just a second. And this is a, a, high, a high school. Uh, uh, he teaches AP program, government uh, in a California high school. Now, he's a biological man. I don't know if he's transgender, if he's just playing around the corners with it. He, he has a wife, and uh, he didn't have the yellow hair on. But uh, uh, this is what gender confusion has brought to America. And his stated purpose to his children, now think about this, is he says, I've got six months to teach your children to be communist revolutionaries. So that's his goal as a government teacher, and the school is allowing it. This is the condition of America today. What's his problem? He needs Jesus. His problem is not his tattoos, it's not his yellow hair, and it's not his dress and hairy legs. His problem is he needs Jesus. But friends, this is America. In American culture today are pushing young children towards this confusion. Let's look at another one, and this is very emotional. Um, enraged leftists compare pro-lifers to the Texas Taliban after abortion ruling. Well, you know, this, uh, uh, the Texas uh, government uh, recently uh, made a, signed into law, our governor, that uh, it would be against the law in Texas to have an abortion once a fetal heart belt, heartbeat is felt. I think it's like six, eight weeks in there, somewhere in there you can, feel, uh, you can sense the heartbeat. And then, of course, when, when they signed that, they appealed to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said, hey, we're not going to touch this. Let the courts have it. And lo and behold, they found a court in, uh, in Travis. I read just yesterday in, uh, a judge in uh, Travis County that uh, would say, okay, you've got to put your law on hold. So this stuff kind of fights in the courts. But when this came out, the women on the left w went in, insane. Uh, and, and many of us may have different opinions about it, but let me tell you a biblical opinion because what we're talking about is this little child. This is a baby, nine weeks of age, and they have a heartbeat. And you can tell they're not going to be a horse and they're not going to be a dog, they're not going to be a cat, but they're, they're, they're a human being. Well, the Bible says, in, in a nutshell here, about, about life. The Bible teaches that life begins in the womb. Psalm 139 is tremendous. Several verses there that talk about when I was hidden in my mother's womb, God's hand was on my life. God created me. Uh, read the book of Jeremiah, the first chapter, a few verses where God said, Jeremiah, I knew you before you were born. Before you were born, I, I, you were going to be a prophet for the nations. So the Bible teaches us that life begins in the womb. And as a Christian, I stand for life, but yet our world goes insane because that ability to take that child's life may not be available. Again, I realize this is very emotional, but the Bible is very clear, and the solution to how to straighten everything out is to go to God's Word, the source of truth. And this is what's missing, not only in modern America, but in many professing Christians, is we no longer believe the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. Because my starting place, my starting place for cosmology is not uh, what, uh, what a uh, scientist tells me. Listen, I knew there was a big boom, a big boom, a big bang that created the universe because Genesis says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
I don't need a scientist to tell me. I don't need an ultrasound to tell me that life is sacred in the womb. And I don't need the will of the plurality of the vote of the people. Come on, we go to God's word. This is what's missing today. So why did I share all that with you? America is confused. America needs a spiritual awakening to know the difference between right and wrong. Listen, listen to what Jesus said. Uh, Jesus said in John 4, 35, you know the saying, uh, four months between planting and harvest, but I say to you, wake up. wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. Well, he's not talking about corn that's ready to be combined. He's talking about people that are ready to return to God. You know, people are kind of like avocados. How many like avocado? How many? How many like? Uh, uh, oh shoot, guacamole. Sure, everybody likes guacamole. You have to like guacamole to be a member of this church, by the way. <laughs> and uh, my wife goes to the store and she buys the you know a bag full of uh, of uh, avocados and she brings them home. But the only problem is they're hard as little rocks. You can't even carve them. I mean, it would be it would be like doing a wood carving. They're so hard and so green. But you leave those little things out for a little while, and all of a sudden, the green color starts changing to a, a, a dark color, uh, almost black, and you touch that little guy, and you feel a little softness coming, but say, one more day. And the next day, it's just softened us, and I mean, those things are rocking. What happened to them? They got ripe. Well, people are ripe today, and people are increasingly ripe because of the troubles that are in our world. They're recognizing their need for God, and God needs us to be able to tell them. Come on, somebody give the Lord a, a praise today. Now, let's, let's get to the heart of the message here about the excuses. Chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah gets upset. Now, we've got 120,000 people in Nineveh, and the Bible says they were so confused they didn't know their right hand from their left. In other words, they're just mixed up. They're as mixed up as that poor teacher was that I showed you on the screen today. How did a young man get that confused? That he is a man, number one, is masculinity, uh, the value of freedom as opposed to socialism. And how did he get so messed up? The world has done it to him, friends. Well, uh, anyway, Jonah got upset and he complained to the Lord and listened to the nature of God. Didn't I say that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I know that you are, say it with me, merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. And then Suicidal Journal says it again. <laughs> Just kill me, Lord, if what I predicted won't happen. So why did Jonah make these excuses? Why would a prophet, a man of God, do this? Well, three reasons are possible. One, Amos and Hosea, they were prophets. They were prophesying that this same Assyrian empire, the Ninevites, were going to come down as an army and judge Israel and destroy them one day. Well, he didn't want that to happen. Maybe another, uh, he believed they deserved to suffer for what they've done. Any of you have believed that sometimes? Jonah, sure we do. He believed they needed it, so he didn't want them to come to God. But maybe he felt his personal reputation was at stake. You see, he didn't say, if you repent, God will turn you around. All he said was uh, that God's about to destroy you. And that's all he said. So it, he, could have been, he could have been embarrassed. So, but it didn't really matter to me what his reason was. What matters to me is what my excuse is or what my reason is why I can't do what God calls me to do, why I can't be a Billy Sunday or why I can't be a, a, a Mr. Kimball and do my part to help reach the Dwight L. Moody. Let me give you a couple excuses. And the top one, I think, is one of the toughest for, for, for all of us in America, that uh, maybe we're just worldly and too busy with the wrong things. Let me read you a scripture. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, uh, John said, don't love this world. Now, that word love is the same Greek word agape. It's the highest form of love. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's, you know the scripture that says to love the Lord with all, your, uh, with all your heart? That's the first and greatest commandment. Well, now what the problem is, is some of us, we sometimes love the world like we're supposed to love God. Uh, verse 16 says, the world only offers a craving 
for physical pleasure. In other words, everything in life has to be fun. A craving for everything we see. I've got to have more, bigger, better. And pride in our achievements and possessions. So our identity is in what we have and what we've accomplished, not in our relationship with God. Now, let me tell you why this is tricky, because this is not a good or a bad thing. Do you know this first one where it says physical pleasure? How many know God created us to enjoy life? It's the blessing of the Lord's make rich and adds no sorrow to it. The things 1 Timothy 6 says, God gives you things and money to enjoy. So, and then the next one, he says, a craving for everything we see. Uh, I took advantage of the Dillard sale. I'm a shale sale shopper, and I went in, I bought some clothes, uh, I guess Thursday, and uh, I probably spent as much as I should, but I saw this suit that I really liked, and uh, it was two-thirds off, and I said, well, let me think about it, and let me pray about it a little bit. You just hang it back in the back room for me, and I may come home. So I talked to the Lord about it a day or two, and I, uh, and I was reluctant, and I said, you know, Lord, would this kind of be okay? And, and I didn't get any checks, so I bought the suit. I don't think that's sinful. Pride in our achievements and and possessions. Uh, my daughter's uh, fiance he wants to be a doctor, and he took the MCAT test yesterday. He'd been studying day and night for four months, and it was a you know it was like a six-hour test. And as soon as the test was over, I wrote, I wrote him a note and said, man, I'm so proud of you, the dedication that you've had and the ambition that you want to succeed in your life. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Here's where the problem is, is if the things of this world become more important than God. In other words, if that suit, I can't be happy until I have that suit. And not only get that suit, but I got to get three more colors that I don't have even though the ones that I do have are perfectly fine. Uh, 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 a craving for uh, everything I see, a uh, 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 physical pleasure, uh, a craving for it. Everything has to be fun. You see, God just wants to be first. He, we can have fun, but God, we, we don't want fun to replace God. I talked to somebody in last service, and it just blew my mind. He said, Pastor, I have a 73-acre farm, and it keeps me so busy that I sometimes can't come to church and can't do the things the Lord wants me to do. And I got convicted, so I'm selling half the farm. And I said, man, he realized that some good thing, farms are good things, a good thing came in his life, but the good thing became an idol. And the good thing became more important than God. And that's what he's talking about here. And this is one of the greatest challenges for us as we become successful in the world. Don't love the world more than you do the Lord. Now, the next two are, are related and close to home. We fear what people will say or do to us. We're intimidated. I'll show you a little picture here. Now, this gal, uh, Miss, uh, they call her AOC, Ocasio Cortez. Uh, she's a politician. She is a, uh, uh, a congressman, congresswoman from New York. And uh, so every time I see a picture of her, she looks just like that, like she's mad about something. But here's what she said. Christian extremists are passing laws, uh, passing forced birth laws. So what she's trying to do is because of what I said about the Bible, she's trying to shut my mouth. And if she had her way, she'd bring the full force of the government against me and against you to shut my mouth. And here's what I want you to say about this. When you talk to people about returning to God, it's not always going to be easy or fun. Some people won't like it, but don't let them intimidate you. Don't let them shut you down. Even if it costs you something, even if we have to be rejected or persecuted, don't let the fear of man get us in a trap. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let me give you another excuse, and this one is related. Uh, we want to fit in with the world. Now, if I were to ask you this honest question, how many want, uh, would like all people to like you? Raise your hand at me here. The rest of you are liars. How, how, many, how, how many like to have as many enemies as possible? How many like to be hated by as many people as possible? No, we all want to fit in, and we all want to be liked. Now, listen to this one. John 12, verse 42 uh, many of the Jewish leaders believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't openly acknowledge their faith for fear they'd be put out of the synagogue. Now listen, for they loved human praise more than the praise from God. They loved human praise more than the praise from God. I mean, we all want to be liked, and we don't want anybody to make fun of us. 
Let me tell you a little true story about myself. Um, uh, my dad uh, loves the Lord. But there was a time in my dad's life, he, he came to the Christ, I don't know, seven, eight, ten years ago. But prior to that, you know, he was just kind of wild like I was wild when I was growing up. And uh, so when his friends would be there, I was intimidated by his friends. I just got to be honest. They were older. They were successful. You know, I was kind of on the quiet, little introverted side, and I was intimidated by them. And uh, I would just keep my mouth shut. So if I'd go out with them now, I'm a Christian. Uh, if I'd go out with them and for lunch or something, and uh, it's time to pray, I, I look around, see what they're doing, then I go, thank you, Jesus, amen. You hadn't done that, have you? Well, last year, I was out visiting with him, and one of his friends was doing some gardening, and he just was cussing. I mean, it was F this and F that and blah, 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 blah just, just, just like crazy. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't say anything, and my dad kind of apologized to me afterwards, and I said, you know, that's not a big deal. I used to cuss like that myself. But the, the, his brother found out about it, and he, his brother told him that I was a preacher. So he called the next day to apologize to me. So his brother calls me, and I said, look, he doesn't have to worry about what I think about him. He needs to worry about what God thinks about the way he's talking. I didn't let myself get intimidated. Come on. I didn't let myself shut down because I was afraid of what people would say. Be careful, friends, because God may have you in a situation where somebody needs to reach, be reached for Jesus and the devil wants to keep your mouth shut. Let me give you another one. Someone hurt us or someone did us wrong. Uh, they deserve God's mercy. Or they don't deserve God's mercy is the way that we feel. These 13 soldiers that were killed in Afghanistan, if you've been following the news, the family is not happy with Mr. Biden. And they're blaming him, and they're just, I mean, they are just railing on him big time. And probably the last thing they feel like doing is saying, I forgive you. Uh, but listen to what Jesus said. Jesus, in Matthew 6, 15, if you refuse to forgive others, your fathers won't forgive your own sins. Now, let me give you another little story. Uh, Somebody did something, they wronged me not too long ago. And uh, they took advantage of me, and uh, they were kind of stuck it to me on something. And uh, uh, it was, a, anyway, they kind of stuck it to me, and it hurt my feelings, and I got mad, and I couldn't sleep one night for about two hours tossing and turning about what they had done. And here was the thing that I was kind of thinking. I was looking down the road a bit, and I just had this feeling that one day that I had something that they were going to come asking me for to give them. And I was thinking, <laughs> when they asked what I was going to do, I thought about saying, if you were drowning and wanted my hand, I wouldn't stick it out to you. <laughs> You'd never do that, would you? And guess who started talking to me when I was writing this sermon? <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Because here's the deal. None of us deserve the mercy of God. God has given all of us grace and mercy and no matter how bad somebody it is come on they deserve our prayers still they deserve listen they deserve it last one and then we'll wrap up uh, the, the last excuse we make is that we'll tell people tomorrow but tomorrow may never come uh, James says this, James thir uh, 4, some of you say today or tomorrow we're going to go to some city we're going to stay there a year, we're going to do business we're going to buy a house, we're going to make money but verse 14 says, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your life is like a puff of smoke, a mist. You see it for a short time and then it goes away. So what's the message here? There's no better time than now to tell people they need to come to God. I remember when I was in the Navy, I was in Okinawa, Japan, and I was on fire for Jesus. I mean, if you had a, a heartbeat, I would tell you about Jesus. I had tracks in my pocket. I'd put them everywhere I went, the bathroom, the phone booth. But I was young, and I, it was this first-class petty officer. You know, I'm this little meager third-class petty officer. How humiliating. Third-class petty officer. And I was intimidated by this first-class but he was still a petty officer, but I was intimidated because he was a one and I was a three. Anyway, I wouldn't talk to him about the Lord. It's a true story. He ended up having a heart attack and he died. And I remember for a long period of time how grieved I felt that I just kept telling myself today's not the day. And I let that opportunity slip through my hands. Listen, friends, 
Don't let it slip away. Today is God's time. I'm going to close with this. Uh, Back to America. This isn't the first time America's in a dark place. We have a history of revivals and spiritual awakenings that change the nation. Now, if you're interested in this, I would, I would, uh, I'm going to say Google, but I don't Google anymore. I, I duck, duck, go. Uh, I would, I, I would search for prayer meeting revival. And let me tell you something that happened in the mid 1800s, 1840s, 50s. United States experienced a 35% population growth, but the nation was intent on getting things and making money and had lost interest in religion. You know, the cycle away from God, or or things are going good, God's blessing us, and God's real good to us, but then we forget about God, and we turn our backs on him, and this cycle repeats itself in history. Well, uh, the West had opened up. Gold was discovered in California. Railroad building was creating uh, fortunes, uh, fortunes balloon, but faith diminished. The immigration surge led to work shortages and race riots. Slavery issue was splitting the country. On top of that, the stock market crashed. There were bank runs and failures occurred. Now, how many know, just like America, just like, you know, the COVID, the hurricanes, all the things in life, is it shaking the world that we're so secure in? But then God wants to work as the world shakes, and he found a man named Jeremiah Lanfear. Jeremiah was just a good-hearted guy. Jeremiah, but loved Jesus so much, he took a job. A church was dying, an inner-city church was dying, and they said, we'll pay you less than 1000 a year if you'll just go around and talk to people and try to get them to come back to church. Well, that was his job. But he got burdened about America's problems, and on September 23rd, he launched a weekly noon-hour prayer meeting for business people. Now, think about it. Once a week... 12 o'clock, 12 to 1. He posted it all over town. The first half hour, nobody showed up. But the last half hour, six men dragged in to pray. The next week, there were 20 people. By November, it was a daily prayer meeting with 200 people from all denominations. And other prayer meetings sprang up across New York City. And in April, there were 10,000 people praying every day for God to move in America. These prayer meetings started happening all over the country. Spiritual revival spread through cities across the United States. I had, if I had time, I'd read you newspaper articles, major newspapers like the New York Times would be today or, or like the Wall Street Journal would be today. And on the front page, it talks about what God is doing through revival. But yet, in the first prayer meeting, there was no great outpouring of the Spirit. He had no way of knowing that it was the beginning of a national, great national revival that would bring one million people to Christ when the nation only had 30 million people. Now, how many know that's 3% of the population? That was changing the nation. Countless people had daily prayer meetings around the country. Now, listen to this. One time, a man wandered into the Fulton Street meeting, prayer meeting, And he was intending to murder a woman, had a gun in his pocket. He was going to go out and murder this woman and then commit suicide. But he listened to someone who was delivering an exhortation, urging the duty of repentance. And all of a sudden, the murderer startled everyone and he cried out, What shall I do to be saved? See, that was where the Holy Spirit was coming. The convicting work of God's Spirit became so strong during the prayer meeting revival that several times conviction, now listen to this, began falling on ships' crews in the ocean and passengers before they even reached American shores. Pastors were calling out, were being called out to go to sea to minister to those on the ships because they were overwhelmed with distressing conviction. Do you realize that could happen today? Do you realize there could be a work stoppage at Cooper Tire if the Spirit of God began to fall in that place? Do you realize there could be weeping breakout in Albertsons? Maybe it would start like this. Maybe some, I don't know, maybe they're, they're at the, you know, the bananas and the bananas don't look too good and, you know, somebody's got kind of a snarl on their faith. And uh, you walk up to them and say, well, you don't seem very happy today. H not, I'm not happy because this blankety-blank banana is going to... And you just say something like, you're hurting, aren't you? 
Yeah, I'm hurting. Well, I want to tell you, I used to feel the same way about life, but Jesus came into my life, and he turned things around for me. And Jesus Christ made me realize, made me happy whether I have a little or happy whether I have a lot. And he's given me peace in this COVID stuff. And all of a sudden, the woman starts to cry. And she gets tears, and you take her hand, you're praying, and pretty soon somebody else walks up. And then a store guy walks up, and before you know it, the grocery store is gravitating over what's happening over in produce. You think that could happen today? Sure it could. Imagine if it happened in a classroom. What if, what if you're in a high school classroom or a college classroom, and uh, the teacher says, you know, yeah, they're teaching you the whole evolution thing and the monkey thing and the Big Bang thing, and you just said, but what if God created it like the Bible says? Because it seems to me it takes more faith to believe that nothing created everything than it does to believe that a loving God created and sustains the world. And all of a sudden, a hush falls on the classroom. And other students say, yeah, I believe that too. And then all of a sudden, the teacher gets convicted. See, this is how the Holy Spirit works. God's wanting to visit us if we're willing to step up and do our part. This prayer meeting revival, and I close with this, what would have happened if Joseph Lamphere would have said after that first prayer meeting, this is crazy. I'm not going to waste my time on just six people. But he didn't. He heard God. He stayed with it. Because if he'd have missed it, he'd have missed the greatest opportunity of his lifetime to be involved in a spiritual awakening that affected the country. It happened then, and it can happen again. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and I want to close with, 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 with prayer. Uh, I want you to bow your heads a minute. And I want to ask you this question. What did the Holy Spirit speak to you about this morning? See, you don't just come to church to learn some information. We come to have an encounter with God. And I wonder if there's something the Holy Spirit put his finger on. I wonder if these excuses maybe have resonated with you. And maybe you're convicted because you're a little too worldly. Maybe you were convicted because you're afraid to speak about the Lord because what people would say, you get intimidated pretty easy. Maybe you want to fit in with the world a little too much. Maybe somebody hurt you or did you wrong. You need to ask God to forgive you and you need to pray for that person. Or maybe you just are putting it off and say, I'll do it tomorrow. Whatever the excuse may be, friends, you and I could be a strategic person just like Edward Kimball in the Sunday school class, just like Billy Sunday, the baseball player, just like Joseph Lanthier that started the prayer meeting revival. I want you to slip your hands to heaven and say, Lord, I don't want to make any excuses. I want to ask you to forgive me if I've made excuses of why I'm not doing my part or why I'm not humbling myself and praying and seeking your face and turning from my wicked ways why I'm not opening my mouth like Jonah did and do. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to come to us right now. Come and forgive us and wash us and cleanse us from any mistake we've made and let today be the brand new start of a life. Give us your heart for people and let us have the courage to reach out and tell, us, tell them Jesus loves you. It's time to return to God. And this is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Listen, I love you. Pastor Cole's going to close the service. Thanks for coming. And don't forget to stop at that life group table or those class tables. They're right by the connect room on your way out. Amen. It was good today, wasn't it? Hey, if you would give me just uh, one more minute, I wanted to share with you a passage that God has been ministering to me through. And this is actually in Psalm chapter 8. King David has written this, and he begins the whole chapter, and he's just saying how majestic, how splendid, how glorious is our God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And in verse 3, this is what he says. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, and then verse 4 says, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
Who am I that the creator of the heavens and the earth is mindful of me? Who are you that God knows you and knows your name? And there's one thing that I know, it's if we're not careful, we can come to church and we can talk about God and we can sing songs about God and and we can miss the magnitude that the maker of the entire universe is here and he knows you and he loves you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And this morning, I wanna tell you, no matter who you are, no matter how many mistakes you've made, God sees you, he loves you, and he has a purpose for you. And can I tell you that it's better than anything else that the world could ever offer. You know, the last several weeks, we've been talking on the the topic of revival, and I do believe America is in desperate need of revival. Our families are in need of revival. Our school systems are in need of revival. we can point our finger at these things and say that needs to shift, but what really needs to happen, it begins with us. It begins with us saying it's time for me to truly surrender to God and live the life that he's called me to live. And this morning, I'd like to extend the opportunity to you. Maybe you're here and maybe you've been going to church out of habit or routine. Maybe you know that you haven't really been honoring God with your life or that you have never truly surrendered your life to him. This morning, I believe it's time to finally surrender and say, God, today I'm gonna begin to live my life for you and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. And maybe today you've, you're here and you've been a Christian, you've walked with God, but maybe you're just away. Maybe you've just turned your back on God for a season and you need to come back to him. Today's the day to come back. And so what I'd like to do right now, I wanna invite our prayer team to come forward and we'd love to pray with you about anything. But as we go into this worship song, I'm gonna stand right over here at the cross. And if you're here and you need to make a decision to follow Christ and you're saying it's time to truly surrender and live the life that God has called me to live, I would be honored to pray with you this morning as God begins to transform your life. Come on, let's worship together.